0: Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey, this is
1: Ben. How's it going, man?
0: Freezing. Freezing.
1: 10-4 ten, ten on that.
0: It is cold. Now, uh, in all fairness, it is much colder where you are at than where I am at, which is weird. But it is true. A little bit, Yes. Yeah, I mean, not by like a by a lot, like twenty degrees colder. So it
1: is. It is currently a, a balmy ten degrees and snowing where I'm at.
0: <laughs> okay, so I was wrong because when I last looked, it was like negative four there, and it's sixteen here. So I was like, oh, you well,
1: yeah. Earlier, it was like negative fifteen here. So ah. that, that was this morning. Yeah. Yes. good, so, good, uh, good Antarctic times.
0: Yes. Not only is it freezing, but all the snow. The roughly seven to eight inches of snow we've got here. It's gotten cold enough that I walked outside earlier and I didn't sink into the snow. Like the top layer had frozen. So after about two steps, all of a sudden my foot goes down and then I'm in a bunch of snow. So that was an odd and I am sure going to make tomorrow's commute to work extremely fun. So I am just looking yes. forward to a packed day of... Hypothermia. There you go, Ben.
1: Now, why would you... <laughs> That's why we decided to do this episode, Tom, was we thought it was very timely with a large portion of the country currently experiencing very cold temperatures. Yes. Uh, which I... I'll talk more about later because that, spoiler alert, is going to be our story that you may have missed that no one's actually probably missed.
0: <laughs> well, the uh, I think hypothermia, and I, I was also looking up stuff on Frostbite. I thought that was, you know, topical... Yes to uh what we're going through as a country except for uh people in the other hemisphere damn australians probably enjoy me <laughs> enjoying their nice summer weather right now you know but otherwise really proud of my health system like most of the offices they closed everything down for cold weather and us to telehealth protect the staff and the patients and it was just uh it was a good response. It wasn't like they were waiting around to see what happened. They just said, we're going to do this. So I was very proud to be part of a system that was proactive like that. And for a person that hates summer, I should say I hate summer. I'm just, I'm a big guy. I'm not built for hot weather. I am ready to be out of snow.
1: I 100% concur with that. It's good, sir. Yes.
0: Though I do have um, my internally built parka that I wear 24 hours a day, <laughs> but uh, yeah, snow, I'm, I'm ready for fall. Like I like fall type of cold. I don't, I don't know about 16 degrees and eight inches of snow cold. Like that's, that's a problematic cold.
1: Yeah. We've, uh, we actually closed my clinic here locally uh, and I transitioned uh, back to the, the larger kind of the mothership to kind of conserve gas and electric in our area, because that's a, a shortage that we're dealing with here. Uh, currently, so um, yeah, it's it, everything's just kind of in an upheaval right now. And I'm gonna be real honest with people this episode's probably not gonna be a whole lot of editing to it, um, just because uh, I have many, many hats and I've worn a, a multitude of them since Sunday. And frankly, I'm tired, so there won't be much editing.
0: He is tired and uh, Ben's got shit to do people. So, <laughs> so we will try and keep it as straight and narrow as possible, but stuff happens.
1: It does happen. Speaking of happening, Tom, our social media is, you know, just crazy fun. You should be joining us there. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. I'll just some podcast our websites, www.justsomepodcast.com. Our email is admin on Don't forget to check out our other shows that we have, Buried Pleasures with Polly and Amazing, and Nurse Papa with David. Tom, if they wanted to help us out, what else could they do?
0: Well, the first thing they could do was stay inside and uh, keep themselves warm. Yep, that would be the first thing. Second thing they could do is while they're inside, they could go to their favorite online shopping service, which is most likely Amazon. Uh, they could go there after they go to our web page, click on our affiliate link, and then they could do all their shopping. Helps out the show, doesn't cost them a thing. Everybody uh, wins. So,
1: winning, winning. <laughs> well, Tom, I kind of alluded to it earlier and gave a spoiler alert. So let's just jump right into our story that you may have missed. That, like I said, no one has actually missed. Um, or if you have missed it, you're in another country, and so we're going to uh, let you know about it now. So there is a uh, a cold front that has encompassed a large portion of the country, and when I looked at the map, I knew that the Midwest was kind of in fact, uh, was affected, but this is a very impressive, Tom. Basically, uh, if you look at it, if you take a V shape and you go from Idaho down to Texas. And then from Texas, Louisiana, up to Maine, that is consistent low temperatures below zero uh, Sunday through Tuesday, the last few days. So we're talking a large majority of the country. Uh, Because of this, there has been multiple issues with utilities, including electricity and gas currently when i pulled it up on poweroutage.us there are about 3.6 3.7 million people currently as we're recording this without power the majority of those are in texas uh, 3.2 million currently in texas that do not have uh, electricity in sub zero temperatures is not a good not a good mixture uh Currently, at least 23 people have died in storm-related incidents since this all began. And the interesting story that I kind of figured that we could, would tie everything into that is uh, the large number of patients that presented to the Houston emergency rooms poisoned by carbon monoxide. Two Houston ERs treated about 100 cases of carbon monoxide poisoning over a 16-hour period from Monday to Tuesday. Uh, this is a huge spike because they generally only see about 100 cases per year, not 100 cases in two days. They were concerned about potentially running out of treatment options. Uh, pay, people with severe cases of carbon monoxide must be placed into hyperbaric chambers to receive oxygen, and there's only a handful of those available within the Houston area. Dr. Bindardi and her medical staff, uh, she's an emergency medical physician at Memorial Hermann Hospital in the Texas Medical Center, Treated 57 patients late Monday and early Tuesday, half of them children. 25 of those patients needed to spend time in the hyperbaric chamber, and it can only treat six people at a time. Uh, most of the poisoning cases stem from people using generators improperly, often keeping them functioning inside garages or close to windows instead of outside. Um, there have also, in the 23 fatalities that I referred to, several children from uh, or family from carbon monoxide poisoning. Deaths from slippery roads, things of that nature. But yeah, Tom, it's uh, it's gripping the the country. It's caused you know electricity uh, blackouts in our area. Of course, the large portion of Texas without power as well uh, for an extended period of time. They're going on uh, almost forty eight hours with no electricity, and uh, you know gas prices, natural gas prices are absolutely through the roof, causing all kinds of havoc. So, Tom, that was a, just a great story that we wanted to uh, lead off with. So what are your thoughts?
0: My thoughts are, well, what are the things that you just said? And, and we know we both have a mutual friend that lives down in Texas that I've been in yes. contact with. And at first it was rolling blackouts. Like each neighborhood was taking turns, basically getting power for a little while. So they keep their houses warm. And then he stated throughout the night, power never came back. So their house was approximately 30 degrees when they finally got power back this morning so it's not just a story when you know a person that's going through this yeah so that's the first thing the second thing uh you mentioned is companies that are taking advantage of people and jacking up prices and price gouging like we don't tolerate it when people loot after a hurricane and we don't tolerate people that do that for emergency supplies that send that stuff down to natural disasters, but suddenly it's okay for a company to get rich by screwing over people, by jacking up prices on natural gas, propane, whatever you want to say, like all of a sudden suddenly magically the prices go up in the wintertime when you need it most. And I think if there's something that, needs to be done, that's one thing that needs to be done is regulation of that. But that's me. And,
1: and just because I kind of have some, some more intimate knowledge of, of that, uh, kind of what Tom was referencing, uh, there are several natural gas um, pipelines that, that provide natural gas to cities across the United States. Those prices were about $3 on average prior to Tuesday, Wednesday, last week. And overnight they went up almost or over a hundred times to close at almost uh, $300 per, per unit as opposed to three dollars, which obviously, as, as you I'm sure are well aware, that's going to you know pass that on to the companies that are purchasing that, the municipalities, cities that are trying to purchase that gas. And ultimately, unfortunately, it's also going to get pa- passed on to the end user or the uh, the citizens and customers that are going to end up paying that, that price unless, states and the federal government can step in and stop some of this.
0: Yeah, I'm not one for having the government control a lot of things, but certainly that's their job is to at least regulate things so things stay even. And this seems to be an area that is a complete failure. So for all those that are suffering from lack of local government planning ahead for power outages to other local governments that are dealing with corrupt uh, systems that are causing them issues. I wish you all well. I hope we all get through this together. And people are going to suffer from things like hyperthermia and frostbite due to this weather. So I'm glad we are doing this show tonight.
1: I I am too, and I feel like I said that was kind of a timely, you know, with, with, what's going on in, in a large portion of our country anyway. So we're going to try to make this an educational episode and try to provide a lot of good information on hypothermia and frostbite, frostbite as Tom alluded to. Hypothermia is caused by prolonged exposures to very cold temperatures. Uh, when you're exposed to cold temperatures, your body begins to lose heat faster than you can produce it. And uh, lengthy exposures will eventually use up your body's stored in- energy, which then causes your body temperature to lower. By definition, uh, it's defined as a core temperature below 95 degrees Fahrenheit, and then beyond that, it goes into uh, mild, moderate, and severe hypothermia. Um, and just to give those temperature breakdowns, just so you're kind of aware, and then we can go into sign the symptoms, Tom, that you can, if you have that information, you can cover that. Mild hypothermia is 90 to 95 degrees, and again, this is, we're talking core temperature, core body temperature moderate hypothermia is 82 to 90 degrees and severe hypothermia is anything below 82 degrees core temperature.
0: Yeah, if you're below 82 degrees core temperature, you're you're not going to have a good time. So, yeah, we're going to talk about some of the things that you need to watch for and then we're going to talk about some of the things for treatment. So, some of the websites that you can look this up that we got I, at least I know I got some information from uh, So starting with like the American Academy of Family Physicians. So when you're in that mild stage, that 90 to 95 degrees Fahrenheit of body temperature or 32 to 35 degrees Celsius, you're going to actually have some hypertension. You're going to have some shivering. Your heart rate's going to go up and your breathing, your breathing rate, good Lord, is also going to go up. Okay. You're going to also start to notice signs in yourself or those around you of impaired judgment. And that's just as your body temperature starts to go down. When we go into that moderate phase, if you are unable to get the patient warmed up or yourself warmed up, if that might be the case, and you get down into that uh, 28 to 32 degrees Celsius, or that would be roughly 82 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit, You're actually going to go the opposite way. So you're going to get a decreased heart rate. You're going to get a decreased respiratory rate. You're also going to stop shivering. So at first, everything's going to ramp up. And then as you get worse, you're going to notice that decreased. And one of the other things that's going to decrease is possibly your level of consciousness. So that's also something that you need to be aware about with yourself or those around you. Finally, if you get into that severe hypothermia, it goes a lot worse from there. You become apneic. um, You possibly will fall into a coma. Your pupils stop reacting. Um, You can get pulmonary edema. And then finally, your heart rate may stop. So those are some of the things that we would say what to look for or what's going to happen as you get through those stages.
1: And I would just like to add to that, Tom, I think for our non-medical listeners, so we do have some of those that, that certainly tune into our show. We, you know, we appreciate you tuning into us. The big takeaway from that is, you know, between that mild to moderate hypothermia, if you'll notice that significant change, if you're outside and it's cold and you're shivering, okay, you're probably in the mild hypothermia. If you get to the point that you're still outside or you're still in the in the cold temperatures and you've stopped shivering, If you're conscious enough to to notice that, then you need to be aware that that is a significant problem, or that's a problem for the people who are around you if they stop shivering. It's
0: that gradual change, like all of a sudden you're like, man, you know, like, oh, my skin felt flush and everything, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, it doesn't feel as bad, and I can't remember how to count to ten. You're gonna—that's the sign that it's time to get out of the cold weather. Now, this is all assuming that you're able to. If you're not able to, survival is what you have to do to make yourself alive, okay? But I'm saying, for instance, let's say you're outside doing something, you're shoveling snow, you've been outside for a while. These are the types of things I'm talking about. Obviously, most people won't get into that moderate for just being outside for a short period of time, but I'm saying best case scenario. Now, obviously, worst case scenario is You got to do what you got to do. But if you've been outside and you've been doing some stuff and you're like, hey, I don't feel as cold anymore. What was I doing outside in the first place? That's your sign. You need to go back in and start warming up.
1: Yeah, The heat in your body, um, of course, is generated through cellular metabolism. loss of your skin and lungs uh, via either evaporation, radiation, uh, conduction, or convection. Of these, convective heat loss to the cold air and conductive heat loss to water are the most common mechanisms for hypothermia, and those who are most at risk um, are going to be your older adults uh, with potentially inadequate food, clothing, or heating, babies who sleep in cold bedrooms or, or you know or in houses that don't have heat, uh, people who remain outdoors for long periods of time, and then people who potentially drink alcohol as well during this could could be some of those that are going to be more at risk for hypothermia.
0: Yeah. And and so you're thinking to yourself, oh, how am I supposed to tell if my baby that I can't talk is getting hypothermic since I can't decide if he's getting less consciousness. So honestly, skin bright red skin yeah. is one of the first things you want to look for on a baby. But honestly, the one of the more important is you can judge its mental state. You can not ask it questions, but Is it acting normal? Like if it's usually grabbing for things or looking around or cooing or, you know, whatever, however age the child is, if all of a sudden it just isn't moving around a lot, bright red skin, it's not responsive to talking or it's not acting very alert, that baby is hypothermic. It's time to start warming up. And Ben, one of the things I heard you talk about was Drinking alcohol and hypothermia. And they are closer related than most people want to talk about. And, there, and there's a variety of reasons for that. But some of the things that you're going to notice with that is, and honestly, is poor decision making can be one of the most important, if not key factors for people that are drinking alcohol and outside in cold weather because they're not paying attention to what's going on or those signs and symptoms we just you know, we're talking about also alcohol gives you a false sense of warmth It makes your capillaries yep. flush. And so you're thinking, Hey, I'm warm, but actually all that blood rushing to your skin is actually releasing your heat even faster. And now it's returning cooler blood back into your system, therefore speeding up the hypothermia process. It's also a diuretic. So if you, st- if you find yourself outside around the campfire pissing more, guess what? you're losing heat even faster. So so those are some of the reasons that people feel like, oh, I'll just take a shot. I'll warm right up. You're not. You're actually getting colder. So take it for what it's worth while you're sober. I mean, it's hard to be sober while you listen to me talk. But if you are, <laughs> I would say be aware that you're actually going to potentially make this situation so much worse.
1: Are you ready to jump into like, Treatment? Kind of treatment and temperature measurements and things of that nature.
0: Well, I mean, if you're ready, I'm ready.
1: Well, you know, so in my research, and I can remember in, in my time in ER, of course, you know, we use rectal temps um, mm. for high patients when they come in. Yeah, that, that rectal probe that gives us uh, an idea of the core temperature. So, those of you in emergency medicine, uh, ERs, you know, things of that nature. You know, effective diagnosis and management of hypothermia depends, uh, you know, you can't use like a normal standard thermometer. Most of those stop reading at about 93 degrees. Um, If you have a conscious patient, rectal temperature is reasonable. However, if we're looking at severe hypothermia, uh, particularly if they're going to require intubation, an esophageal probe inserted into the lower one-third of the esophagus uh, provides a near approximation to cardiac temperature. Rectal probe readings may rise following peritoneal lavage or fall if adjacent to cold feces. And now, you know, the infrared tympanic thermometers are not accurate as well. Uh, The other thing that I found interesting was, you know, bladder temperature is another way to obtain temperatures. Bladder and rectal temperatures should not be used in critical patients during rewarming because changes in rectal and bladder temperatures significantly lag behind core temperature changes during rewarming. Core temperature may be increasing in response to rewarming while rectal and bladder temperatures are still dropping.
0: Ah, well, that is always interesting because I know we use the fully temp probes quite often. Now, granted, I mean, not that I can remember the few times I ever saw somebody that was very cold. But uh, to be completely fair, most of the time we saw people with cold, it was from like post car accident. So we weren't exactly worried about hypothermia first, we were trying to warm everybody up at that point. So perhaps that's why we didn't take those first measures, but I did not know that those were not recommended for the ER setting. Well, at least in your
1: severe patients. yeah, Fair enough. You know, laboratory studies that you're going to want to obtain, of course, we're going to look for lactic acidosis, rhabdo, uh, bleeding, infection. Uh, So, you know, you're going to want to get your EKG, you're going to want to get your chem panels, your BUN, creatinine, creatin and hemoglobin, your lactate, your CK, your lipase, um, an ABG as well. That's some of the, the diagnostic studies you're going to want to obtain for your hypothermic patients.
0: Now, That's really good if you're in the ER setting, Ben, but I was looking up some of the stuff from the CDC's website and let's say you're not, let's say you're not in an emergency room setting or this is your wife and you guys have been outside hanging out and you're like, oh God, I think she's going to lie hypothermic. The very first thing we should do with any person that anybody listening to this feels is getting hypothermic is get them somewhere warm. That is literally step one. And I think sometimes people feel like there's some kind of magic for this is for the non-healthcare listeners. Sometimes there's not a magic bullet. There's not a medicine we're going to give you. It's literally they're cold. Get them warm. I mean, that's that's step one. Step two is if the person is wet and that can definitely you know hasten the process of hypothermia. Get it off of them, even if you don't have something dry immediately to put on them. Get the cold, wet thing off of them that's going to be sapping their warmth. So, you got to make sure you get that off of them. Also, and we're going to talk about frostbite here in a little while, but the core of your body, the chest, neck, head, and groin areas are the places you want to focus on getting warm and dry as quick as possible. Okay, your body is an efficient machine, it will not worry about your arm if your heart doesn't, you know, feel like it's uh, getting the right amount of blood. So make sure you're, you're getting core warmth up. Okay. Once the person is stable, assuming they're conscious, warm drinks, not hot, but warm, something that feels comfortable to you would be something that you can start giving. And then after everything is good and warm, then that's when you can start making sure that everything else is taken care of. Now, that's not to say, just wrap a towel around their head and don't worry about their freezing, soaking wet arm that's still cold. I mean, you would want to dry everything. I'm saying the core areas of the body, though, are what we want to get warmed up as soon as possible.
1: Yeah, and some of the ways that you can, of course, warm those, um, you know, if you have blankets, towels, heat, the little hot hands, you can stick those in the in the armpits and in the groin area. The cliche movie reference of, you know, like the skin to skin contact. I mean, that legitimately does. That
0: does work. That's one of the
1: recommendations. (laughs) Uh, So even, you know, it's not just a movie thing. It actually does. There is some legitimate medicine uh, or medical information behind that as well. Uh, But like Tom said, we're wanting to get that core of the body warmed back up.
0: So again, it's just one of those things that sometimes it's not magic. Sometimes it's common sense. Get them somewhere warm and get the things that are making them cold off of them. That's that is the first couple steps to treating hypothermia. Now, Ben, I've been in several hospitals, and we usually actually had—they're not warmed like in a microwave, but semi-warmed fluids uh-huh. for introduction into patients. That if they were moderate, you know, to severe, we actually gave them—you could give them warmed IV fluids.
1: Yeah, the ERs that I worked in, we keep fluids in a in a warmer like you said to administer those uh the other time that i've actually used those um and it's, it's not uh, frequent by any means but i have actually used those warm fluids like that and irrigated the bladder to try to warm the body up
0: yeah i was gonna say we've done warm uh, foley,
1: which yeah it's and for those who are non-medical that's where we draw warm fluid into a syringe we shoot it into the foley we hold it there for you know a 30, 45 seconds, and then we let it drain back out, and then we and put more warm fluid into the, in the and directly into the bladder to try to warm the body up.
0: Yeah, sometimes the things that suck will save your life. Just it, just how it works.
1: <laughs> and and if you are um, you know out and about, like Tom said, before we get to the the hospital setting, if it is someone who's in severe hypothermia and they don't have a pulse or they're not breathing, uh, perform CPR even if they you know, appear dead in a hypothermic state. I'm not saying like in general, let me clarify that. I guess there have been cases of hypothermic patients uh, who, who appear to be dead, but can still be successfully resuscitated. You know, it may just be the cold on their body that's causing that. And once we are able to warm them up, we can get their heart functioning again.
0: Yeah. CPR is definitely important. And again, this is assuming you're not stranded in the wilderness. Right. Right. But Call 911. (laughs) You know, if in doubt, call 911. (laughs) Please call 911. Um, We're giving practical steps for, you know, mild cases or if you're non healthcare or if you are healthcare, this is for, hey, these are things you may want to keep in mind when you're seeing patients that are probably going to be cold if they're coming to see you. So, uh, granted, the chance of getting hypothermic in your car on your drive there are pretty low, but still, this is something that you can talk to your patients and educate them on some of the things that they should be looking for if they have any questions
1: so this is i kind of jumped ahead earlier now are you ready to jump into like hospital treatments (laughs) yeah i am yeah okay well in the hospital setting of course uh you know if if you think back to your if you're a nurse you think back to tncc or you even think back to acls or your cpr classes what's the first thing they teach you abcs Airway breathing circulation, if you don't have airway breathing circulation, you don't have anything. So, of course, that's going to be your priority is ensuring we have an open airway that they're breathing in, that we have blood circulating. Beyond that, Tom, we want to start trying to rewarm them as soon as possible. There's a couple of different types of rewarming techniques. There's passive external rewarming, active external rewarming, and active internal core rewarming and the degree of hypothermia determines kind of the techniques that are implemented. So, uh, passive external rewarming is a treatment of a choice for mild hypothermia, and that's kind of like what we talked about earlier with in the outpatient setting or the out of hospital setting. You know, wet clothing is removed, the patient's covered with blankets, other types of insulation. Resulting in reduction in heat combines with the patient's intrinsic heat production uh, to produce rewarming. The next one would be like active external rewarming, and that's going to be a combination of like warm blankets, heating pads, uh, radiant heat, warm air, bear huggers uh, for those in the medical fields. Uh, Of course, we know what those are. We can use those for uh, moderate to severe hypothermia or unstable mild hypothermic patients or patients who, of course, fail to respond to passive external rewarming. And lastly is the active internal core rewarming, which we kind of alluded to earlier. It's going to be the most aggressive uh, strategy. So we're going to do, you know, warmed crystalloid solutions. Potentially there's even discussion of like irrigation into the peritoneum or into the thorax uh, with through chest tubes um, or extracorpio blood rewarming or the bladder rewarming. So there's lots of different Method is to try to get our patients warm once uh, they come in hypothermic.
0: The chest tube one, I was not prepared for. I don't think I've ever seen or heard of someone getting a chest tube for rewarming. Now, granted, I'm not an expert on cold weather medicine, but <laughs> if somebody said we're going to put a chest tube in, by the way, <laughs> I'm going to put a bunch of hot fluid through it. I'm like, mm, what? I don't know if that's uh, that's on the menu for this uh, this afternoon, sir.
1: And the big one that I forgot to mention in that was also warmed, humidified oxygen. You know, because we're trying to warm that oxygen up, which is going to go into the lungs, which is then going to try to help diffuse that that heat. But yeah, as far as like what you were mentioning there, the peritoneal or uh, pleural irrigation um, is most likely the one to be used in emergency departments should more basic interventions fail. Peritoneal irrigation can be performed by infusing 10 to 20 mils per Kilogram of isotonic saline. Uh, the fluid is left in the peritoneal cavity for 20 minutes and then removed. And then uh, pleural irrigation can be accomplished by placing two thoracostomy tubes uh, large enough to allow unimpeded rapid infusion and drainage of saline. The recommendation is 36 to 40 French. And one or both hemothoraces, one tube is placed high and interior, the other is placed low and posterior in the chest cavity.
0: Oh, that so we're talking, is that's like rough. Severe. Well, yeah, that's severe. like you're dead. We're, we're trying to make sure you 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 either are dead, you're coming back, or you're not going to die. But my goodness, a 40 French.
1: And it, <laughs> and it does say, reserve this technique for severely hypothermic patients who is not rewarming unless the patient has an alternative indication for a chest tube.
0: Still, wowza. That is some rough stuff. I was like, hey, you had me a bear hugger. And for those that don't know what a bear hugger is, it's... A machine that looks like a vacuum cleaner but it goes in reverse it blows out yeah. hot air and it's funny because you're thinking like even when i first got there i thought of bears like i saw a bear in my head but that's not the same thing but it is a vacuum cleaner that works in reverse it blows hot air out instead of sucking stuff in And they have special blankets that you can wrap around you. They have tubes that fill with the hot air. So it traps the hot air around the body. So we use those quite often in the ER setting, but, and, or, you know, the night shift nurses are really cold. I've seen those used for warming up purposes, but, uh, (laughs) uh, but at the same time, I was like, again, I, not me. I'm, I'm a big boy, so I guess I don't. know get cold that easy but yeah the bear hugger is a versatile machine it's also one of the few machines anywhere in the hospital you will probably have to track it down if another department borrows it for some reason so make sure you tag that thing properly those are bladder scanners always it's always yes
1: (laughs) it's always i don't know how expensive a bladder scanner is and maybe we need to check into that tom (laughs) but i don't know how there's only one for an entire like I, i think every hospital has one yeah and you have to trace the damn thing. Like, either they need to buy more or they need to put a tracking device on it. One of the
0: two. Yes. Yes. Because everybody will say, I'll bring it right back. But they never bring it right back. Never. <laughs> they never bring it right back. So, yeah, um, that's fun stories.
1: <laughs> beyond that, of course, once we're trying to get the patient rewarmed, our other big concern is with arrhythmias. Uh, they can exhibit cardiac irritability, so bradycardia. Maybe physiologic and severe hypothermia. Cardiac pacing generally is not required unless bradycardia persists despite the rewarming. Uh, you can also get some ventricular arrhythmias and, a systole, maybe refractory to conventional therapy until the patient has been rewarmed. Kind of like we mentioned earlier with you know the heart. That's why we're wanting to do CPR and severe hypothermics until they're warmed up. So there are some some issues there with obviously with the cardiac side of things.
0: Oh, Ben, the yes, hypothermia. Sir. I'm just, you know, it's one. it's one of those things. It's like uh, when you think of someone scratching their nail down chalkboard, you kind of hear it in your head. I feel like I'm getting colder just sitting here talking about all this stuff.
1: I feel colder as well. So, um, yeah, I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's I think it's in our head. But besides hypothermia, Ben, and I know we didn't talk about it too much in pre-production, But one of the other big things I would like to talk about is frostbite.
1: Yes, sir. Please do.
0: So let's talk about what frost. Well, let's talk about ways to prevent frostbite, because I think most people understand what frostbite is. It's when the skin and sometimes the muscle and tissue under the skin freezes because it got really cold, right? So here are some of the things you can do to prevent it, and then we'll talk about the signs and treatment, okay? So the very first mm-hmm. thing is, and this is from the American Academy of Dermatology, skin people. So if you're going to trust somebody on how to treat frostbite, these would be the guys to go to, all I right? Mean, if we're talking skin,
1: that's, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, dermatologists. That's kind of their thing. So, dress in loose, light, comfortable layers. Wearing multiple layers of this, of this, oh my God, words are hard. Wearing loose, light layers of clothing helps trap warm air between the layers. It's also more comfortable for you. So, if you do start to feel like you're getting too hot, you can take off one layer and still be protected but be more comfortable instead of just having to take off your coat. Now you're exposing all your skin. That's when hypothermia and frostbite can happen. Second, protect your feet and your toes. It's really important that you wear warm socks and shoes that if you can, and I granted most of my shoes are running shoes and they're mesh, so you have to be careful. But if you're going to be out in the snow or where they're going to get cold and wet, you have to try and wear something more appropriate, like boots, or at the very least limit the amount of time that you're outside, or and wear multiple pairs of socks. So th- keep your your toesies warm, okay. Protect your head, protect your hands. Your hands are also one of the more the more vulnerable spots. Keep yourself really well hydrated, okay, because as we talked about before, that's one of the ways that not only can make you more hypothermic, but it can affect your skin, but probably the most underrated, but also probably the most important is recognizing the symptoms of frostbite because the sooner that you are able to treat frostbite, the less damage to your skin, the more likely it is to be successful at treatment. So knowing what you're going to do or what you're looking for is just as important as being able to take care of it in the first place.
1: And I will tell you, Tom, that frostbite is also an effective measure in order to keep your children from playing outside in the negative 15 degree with a negative 30 wind chill weather. Like you Um, tell them that I I, get it? No, I showed them pictures.
0: Oh, that's, yes.
1: (laughs) I was like, do you want this? No? Okay, well then it's too cold to be outside today.
0: Do you want to have to give me a high three when we have to amputate two of your fingers? So... A um,
1: uh, high three. Wow. That was <laughs> yeah, the happy Gilmore hashtag high three. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. There you go. But it wasn't an It wasn't a gator that got him this time. It was himself. So was himself. we talked about some of the things. So let's talk about real quick. Again, this is from our friends at the CDC. What are some of the signs? So most likely people are not going to get a lot of fries fight. You're going to get some pain in your hands and you're going to actually, it'll probably look a little red. That's your body flushing blood to this area. Cause it's like, Hey, it's cold air. We need to get that warmed up. So, you know, make sure you got on some gloves, but most people aren't going to get true frostbite. You're going to get some uncomfortableness. However, let's say all of a sudden, Hey, it doesn't hurt quite as bad. Numbness is one of the signs of frostbite. So if your hand goes from it just stings a little bit because that's, it's super cold at two. It doesn't hurt as bad. Now I must be uh, getting used to the cold weather. No, you're probably damaging your skin. Second would be looking at the skin. If it's turning white or grayish to yellowy type, wherever the exposed skin is definitely starting to show signs of frostbite. The last one that, well, and they're not really ranked, but the last one, that most people will start to notice is that your skin will actually start to get hard. And they say sometimes it feels waxy. If you're starting to notice that on an exposed part of your skin, guess what? You done got the frostbite. It is time to get that covered and get inside or get to someone for treatment as soon as possible.
1: And I can tell you even just short times outside with the exposed skin can certainly cause you problems. I mean, mean, like my hands were freezing just like unloading my vehicle and walking from my vehicle to my house. And I'm talking maybe two minutes.
0: Well, um, yeah.
1: And like, I mean, just you can feel the, the, the cold and the pain. Um, I did look up a time, and you may have had that already also. In a wind chill of minus 16 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, frostbite can occur on exposed skin in less than 30 minutes.
0: Yeah, and again, I, I'm not saying that you can't get it extremely fast. What I'm trying to point out is, if it's still hurting, right? While that sucks, it's still actually a good sign. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. this, this, ah, oh, you look down, it's beet red, it hurts, it feels like pins and needles. Believe it or not, that's a sign that the skin is fighting off trying to be cold. It's when all of a sudden you're like, "Hey, does it doesn't hurt so bad anymore." That's not good like that's actually the opposite of good so what do you want to do ben what do you think the first thing you want to do if you feel like somebody is getting signs of frostbite
1: i want to plunge those cold extremities into warm holes
0: whoa what my- <laughs>
1: <laughs> i i was just trying to i was just being a smart ass and-
0: <laughs> that's a whole different episode ben That's a Pollyanna Um, episode. My bad.
1: (laughs) Never mind. Carry on. Uh, No, I I mean, obviously, you wanted to get out of the temperatures.
0: What Um, do you know? Just as with hyperthermia, treatment of frostbite involves getting in to warmth as soon as possible. One of the things I never thought about when I was researching this is unless it's absolutely necessary. If you feel like your toes are the ones that are becoming frostbitten, do not walk on them. This will actually increase the amount of damage that is being done to the skin. Also, any of the affected areas, don't rub them. Do not massage them. Again, this pressure on your skin when it's already damaged can actually make it worse.
1: And that's something that I think you see a lot. Like, again, you know, I hate to go back to like the movies and the cliches, but I mean, that's the one thing you see is like, you know, they'll grab their hand, like, you know, they'll grab someone else's yeah. hand and they're like, you know, and, oh, yeah, let's warm them up. Well, like, okay, we were, we we're actually potentially doing more yeah. harm than good. Yeah, now their
0: skin that's extremely fragile is just getting the crap knocked out of it. Right. Yeah, that, that's the opposite of what we want to do with, with someone that's suffering from hypothermia. And another thing is actually doing too much to help can actually make things a lot worse. And what I mean by that is you do want to try and warm it up. So if like we said before, if you can get blankets or something like that, that's great. Don't think a, if a little is good, a lot is better. So hot water, not good. We, we don't want hot. We want warm. Okay. Hot can actually burn and cause more damage to skin. Some of the other things that I saw that I was like, no way this, but it, it's had to have happened. Like the CDC didn't put this out as a warning <laughs> for nothing, but heat lamps, putting them near fireplaces, stoves, radiators, not good. Because that person probably can't feel anything and you are likely to not just damage the frostbitten skin, but also burn them. So now they got frostbite and burn damage.
1: I think I have a good analogy for you, Tom. And I just, this popped in my head and if you don't like it, I'll take it out of the show.
0: (laughs) I already (laughs) like it.
1: (laughs) Picture a frozen burrito, Tom.
0: Frozen burrito.
1: Chimichanga. Or chimichanga, that's fine, yes. Frozen, hard, and solid. Think of that as like your frostbite skin, your frostbite finger. It's a very large finger, but a finger nonetheless. (laughs) If you warm that in the oven in a controlled environment, you're going to warm the entire burrito or chimichanga. If you take a flamethrower or a butane torch to it, and you just heat the son of a bitch on the outside, when you bite into that, it's still gonna be frozen on the center.
0: Wow, I do like that. I don't know we, we should really get a dermatologist to assess accuracy <laughs> on this, but I do like the chimichanga rewarming method. Because you're you're right. We we want to do a slow, even, non-burning. Process to heat the person or affected areas of skin up. The minute you apply too much heat, you're going to burn and damage that one spot, and then the rest of you is just going to be cold. So, man, you just amplified their problem. So, let's try and avoid that. I, I want everybody to feel like they're going to be helpful. So, that's why we're trying to teach you the best ways to be helpful. Don't burn their chimichanga All right. Maybe if that's, you know what, Ben, someone's going to write us an email. it's going to be like, you know what, my friend, I thought they were getting frostbite and I microwaved some water and I was going to stick their whole hand in there. And then I thought
1: Ben and Tom said, no,
0: don't burn that chimichanga. Don't do it. So Ben, you might have saved someone's burrito forks or what we call fingers. (laughs) And and now they're going to know better. And uh, the world is a better place now because of Ben. So thank you.
1: It's just five chimichangas right there on your hands. <laughs> five five
0: chimichangas and a salsa wrap. That's what I call my palm because that's where most of the salsa is going to go. So,
1: <clears throat> Well, Tom, what else can they do to uh, help with frostbite? Or, you know, obviously, I mean, the pictures that you see online are pretty grotesque, um, especially when you look at like the severe frostbite where, you know, we see like necrotic tissue and, and things of that nature. But from a healthcare standpoint, then what are some things that? In a, in a clinic or ER that we, we do for frostbite.
0: Well, again, uh, you pretty much already said it inadvertently, which is we want slow, even non-burning rewarming. So you can submerge, like let's say, because the, the most, uh, most likely affected areas, and it can be anywhere in your body that's exposed to, to cold. But l- let's face the facts. Your hands and your feet are the most likely to be damaged from frostbite. So while we don't want to rub it, we don't want to massage it, submerging it into warm water, or if you can heat up water and place it in a washcloth or something and then apply that, that's the number one thing, all right? So while we don't want anything cold and wet on affected skin, we do want warm and wet. That is a okay. All right. So the wet's not the problem when it's not cold.
1: That sounds like a Pollyanna
0: episode. Is what you? Yeah, know. man. See, I knew no matter what I said right there. Um, <laughs> now, here, Sorry. here's the thing though. It, it's going to take some time. All right, and I, and I don't have guidelines on time. But what I'm going to say is, after you've had their affected area, we'll say a hand, let's just for argument's sake, say their right. left hand. So you got their left hand, you've put it in water, you've wrapped it in warm washcloths. If they do not start to feel sensation, and at first it's going to likely be painful. It's going to be that pins and needles, like it was asleep and now it's coming you know, awake. If they're not starting to feel that pins and needles sensation, or they don't feel more comfortable with moving the joint, or and this is another warning sign, the skin actually starts to turn gray. This is not working. You have got to get them to an emergency room as soon as possible for more advanced treatment than you can provide. But that's honestly the, the first couple steps. But the, the honestly, the most important steps for treatment of frostbite are, one, don't get it. Make sure you it's wear reasonable dry protective clothing. You don't expose your skin. And if you start to feel like you're getting signs of it, you get it rewarmed. That's, that's the first one. The second one is if you feel like you have um, moderate or worse frostbite, you got that waxy skin. It's, it's hard. Something like that. Go get treatment right away. Don't wait. So those are honestly prevention in this case is the most important treatment.
1: Yeah, and I I would kind of echo what Tom said there as far as you know. There's there's some things like if you know if you have a if you sneezed once and you've had half a cough, you probably don't need to run to uh, your local emergency room to try to get that that zithromycin prescription. But we if, know you're going to though. Not everybody, not everybody. But in in cases of cold type injuries, whether it be hypothermia or frostbite, these are critical potential life-threatening injuries, and time is of the essence. These are the types of emergencies that you need to seek medical treatment sooner rather than later.
0: So, Ben, there there is one more weird, actually rare symptom yeah. that can happen with hypothermia, and it's called paradoxical undressing.
1: You yeah. had me at weird, sir. <laughs>
0: So in some rare cases, people suffering from extreme cold or they are hypothermic will begin to feel like they are hot. And it is not uncommon in severe hypothermia cases where the the patient is most likely dead when rescue or emergency services crews get to them to find them naked. So that is not really something you can treat, Ben. I just thought that was a weird symptom that we might want to talk about because i gotta tell you if you've been outside freezing your ass off with somebody for we'll say six hours like you are trapped in a car you know something like you're lost in the woods and all of a sudden they go man i'm really hot and they start taking off the parka that's been saving their life guess what you got problems so the other thing you can do then ben if it was me and you i would just let you go and i would take your coat so now i got two coats because one of us has to live ben
1: you gotta, one of us has got to live and tell the story. One of us and has
0: got to move on. You're going to be my Jack, and I'm going to be your Rose, and I'm going to survive.
1: But I suspect it's going to be awkward for you sitting in an abandoned vehicle for numerous hours with a naked man sitting next to you. So you do have to live with that.
0: Well, you'll be dead, so I'll just talk to you at that point. But yeah, so paradoxical undressing is a one of those weird things, and I... Honestly, wasn't able to find out any really good information on why they think it happens other than possibly it's your body's last ditch, last ditch effort of like trying to rewarm itself. And so you go, Hey, your brain is like, Nope, you're warm. And so you start taking your clothes off. I don't, I don't know what other reasoning and I can't find anything else on it. So <laughs> It is just one of those like, hey, sometimes this happens to people. Now, that does not mean if you see somebody or know somebody that had hyperthermia that had paradoxical dressing that they died. I'm just saying it's a pretty good chance, though, <laughs> if if you are you're dealing with severe, somebody that
1: had severe yeah, cases. Yes,
0: yeah, so if you got severe. Now, there it could happen. It, it did not specify when I was looking up stuff on it that it has to happen in severe. I'm just saying if you are a severe hypothermia, and you get into paradoxical undressing, probably bad. Maybe if you're in the light or moderate cases, you know, it does alter your consciousness levels, you know, maybe not that bad. Just got to tackle you then and put you back in the car. But, you know. But,
1: But if you've been outside for five minutes and you come back inside and strip your clothes off naked because you think that you're having Uh, this rewarming syndrome, then perhaps we need to get Eric involved in a concert.
0: Yes, that's a whole different problem. And you know what? One last thing, and we didn't really plan on going over this, but since you talked about that stories we may have missed, I actually looked up some stuff on carbon monoxide poisoning. Do you want to go over that real quick or Mm
1: -hmm. nah? Yeah, go ahead, sir. So. I mean, they're a captive audience because, you know, two-thirds of the country is currently – Hold up in their house. So they have nothing better to do than listen to us.
0: They don't have anything better to do than listen to us. So if you are thinking about, if you are using a heater that was not made to be used inside or any sort of generator, and that includes grills, okay, so you don't want to be using charcoal grills or anything like that inside. Some of the first things that you want to watch for is dull headache, shortness of breath, weakness or fatigue, or dizziness. Those are the first signs, like, hey, Something is not right in here. If you continue to be exposed to CO or the carbon monoxide, nausea or vomiting, visual disturbances such as blurred vision and difficulty concentrating can shortly ensue after that. Any of these signs that make you feel like you are possibly having carbon monoxide poisoning, obviously we want you to get to an emergency room as soon as possible.
1: Yeah. And to kind of piggyback on what Tom said there, you know, it- we understand that, the, like I said, a large portion of the country is currently in, in subpar temperatures. And perhaps we should have done hyperthermia instead of hypothermia, Tom, to give them warm thoughts as opposed to cold thoughts. But, you we know, are. <laughs> we went wrong. We, coin flip was wrong this time. But when you get cold, you can have that impaired judgment. Doing things like starting your vehicle while it's in the garage with the doors down and, and trying to warm up that way, you know, it seems very innocent and in, in, in a clouded judgment, it may seem like a good idea, but in the long run, you want to try to avoid doing things like that.
0: And one of the signs that, if you are the person talking to somebody, that you may notice so, one of the outward appearance issues is. Cherry red is the description we use redness to like the face, like the nose, the cheeks, the lips. We'll get this bright cherry red look to it. So if the person you're talking to while you guys are doing hibachi grill in your living room starts saying, hey, I got a headache and I don't remember how long to cook the steak. And you look over and they got cherry red lips probably are starting to suffer from carbon monoxide poisoning.
1: And carbon monoxide poisoning is not always fatal. Obviously, I mean Christina actually from Antidote Stories in Medicine, the pod that her podcast. She actually uh, had a bout of carbon monoxide poisoning in her house a couple of years ago. Now I think uh, she talked about it on her show. And you know the the big thing in the hospital side that you need to remember with your CO patients is the oxygen saturation will lie to you
0: because it yes
1: <laughs> it can also pick up that carbon monoxide molecule as opposed to just the oxygen molecule. Um, And for these patients, they need high flow O2. We're talking non-rebreathers to try to, to repair the gas exchange with oxygen as opposed to the carbon monoxide.
0: So yes, this is definitely a case of if you are the clinician taking care of a patient with suspected carbon monoxide poisoning, you treat the patient, not the machine. So, if the monitor is telling you, oh, they got 98% oxygen, but they don't know where they're at, their face is beet red, they've been obviously exposed to carbon monoxide, get an ABG, because guess what?
1: And and ABG (laughs) says, that ain't right. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, again, and this is a good basics. Remember, you treat the patient, not the monitor. So, I don't care what the monitor says. If they're acting like they're O2 impaired. It's likely because the row 2 impaired, so make sure you do that.
1: Well, Tom, anything else that you want to say before we uh, wrap up this episode and do our social media stuff again? Uh, I mean, I think we provided a lot of great information.
0: Well, I mean, I'm thinking. I'm sure I got great thoughts. No, you don't. Let's see here. No, Lord. What's colder <laughs> than outside right now? The Nobel Peace Prize award winning committee because they still haven't called me, so that makes them pretty cold.
1: I, I could mute his mic, guys. It's, it's not um, a
0: what else would be cold? The vacuum of space, such as where the International Space Station is, because they still haven't got back to me yet, so there's that. Um, on
1: that note you can find us on Facebook Instagram Twitter and YouTube at just some podcast our websites podcast.com. our email if you want to be on the show or you want to talk to us admin at just some podcast.com <laughs> Tom that wraps up our hypothermia episode of course our area is going through some, some a lot of this I know you know we have friends and I have family in Texas that are deeply impacted um, actually while we were recording. Another good friend of ours, Greg, that's been on our show, was, was messaging me in regards to uh, stuff that's going on because he lives in Texas as well. So, you know, my, our, our thoughts are with everybody that's dealing with this. Try to stay warm, try to do what you can. You know, know that, you know, there are people working in the background to try to uh, restore those vital services uh, to you, whether it be gas, electric, whatever. Um, you know, try to make good choices and be safe. Beyond that, man, have a great week and try to stay warm.
0: And Ben, I just want to touch on that again for a second. Uh, you know, it's real easy to get f- frustrated at, at times like this. There are people that are honestly doing everything they can to make sure that you and your family are going to be safe. Please remember that <laughs> when you talk to them because they are working their butts off in most cases. And People that are, you know, real heroes like linemen that go outside in the cold weather and get electricity to your house so that you can have heat or, you know, people that work on gas lines that are not the money grubbing sons of bitches that overcharge people, but are actually trying to make sure you get the stuff to heat your house. They are out there right now. So I just want to give a real big shout out to those heroes and make sure that people appreciate them as much as they deserve.
1: And I will the other caveat that I will add to that, Tom, the the guys who work on the water, you know that uh is well, one of the local towns that I was that I live around had a main water break in sub zero temperatures. I cannot imagine being cold.
0: You would talk about hypothermia,
1: and then trying to work on a main water line in the freezing, wet, cold. Yeah, the, that.
0: And not only that, but all your DOT departments, the guys that are actually out plowing the roads, laying down brine or salts, you know, trying yeah, I mean, it's easy to take for granted people when you don't see them a lot of the year, but man, they are earning their money right now. So it's just important that we all keep them in our thoughts as well.
1: And I do want to give a shout out to the farmers and ranchers. that are out there trying to deal with cattle and things of that nature as well. I mean, I've seen lots of pictures on Facebook of you know cows that are currently being born in, in sub-zero temperatures, and then working tirelessly to save the cow's life so that uh, you know that we uh, are able to eat down the yes. road. Yes, so
0: steaks don't make themselves. So so, that is or- true. Well, they kind Neither of do, do actually. But. I would say sandwiches don't. But, yeah, steaks actually do kind of make themselves, if you they think don't. about it. Like, steaks have been growing themselves for thousands of years. So,
1: so to all our steak growers, we appreciate you. Uh, Anything else, Ben? No. I, uh, you know, it's uh, 65 degrees in my house because we're trying to conserve gas. Uh, I'm in double layers. And so, I'm going to go uh, to bed and get under some warm covers. So, I hope everybody stays warm, stay safe Have a great week Hey everybody
0: uh, Like Ben said, say, stay safe out there Practice swearing
1: Just to pass the time Lately I see why I am alone I caught
0: some road and I thought of you And tell the many times
1: You say I should have known compressed so I could find my cheese